Poso maoni work, wai wainan kitana ni mua e yoski piataya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis piataya posnapi notaman and e hisikimaka e yoso matnamineho kihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. The MITW podcast is where you can get the latest information from the Menominee Tribe and Tribal Departments with your hosts, Chairman Doug Cox, Sheena Wapus, and Gary Dodge. On this episode, we'll be covering the No Back 40 Mine, or the Back 40 Mine. Uh, we'll also be hearing from the Tribal Archivist, Menominee Language and Culture Commission, Emergency Management Services, Food Distribution, Menominee Nation News, along with Agriculture and Food Systems, Youth Services, and lending and tribal taxes. So uh, could you discuss a little bit about the uh, Back 40 Mine? Sure, be glad to. So the Back 40 Mine project started, uh, well, the tribe got into it about 2015 actively. The mine's been much longer than that. So what I'd like to do is real quickly go over some of the who, what, where's, and when's uh, our opposition that's why we call it the No Back 40 Mine. It's actually Back 40, but here at Menominee, we like to refer to it as No Back 40. Um, the current actions for us and how others can help us uh, to, to progress in our goal. So the Back 40 Mine is owned, and if goes in, will be part of the Aquila Resources Company. They're a company in Ontario. Uh, they've been in existence since 1997, and they're actively a permit um, company. So what that means is that Aquila Resources Company isn't a mining company. They go after permits and they own deposits, but once they secure the permits they need, they will actively seek a mining company, if you will, um, to operate the mine for them to do the extraction of the minerals. So the Back 40 Mine is located in Upper Michigan on the banks of the Menominee River. Uh, the Menominee River, as we know, flows into Green Bay. Um, it is about 50 miles north of, of Green Bay, the city of Green Bay, on the west side of the bay. Um, and the tribe is opposed to the operation that mine will tell you why. So Aquila Resources has a mining permit um, to operate. They have a wetlands permit to operate. Um, those are the two biggest pieces for them. And Menominee's challenged both of those permits. So legally, uh, we are in court, if you will, their administrative proceedings uh, with Aquila Resources challenging the issuance of those permits. The mine itself, um, 150 feet from the banks of the Menominee River, literally 150 feet from the bank of the Menominee River, um, that immediately raises some flags, obviously. Pollution, the biggest. The pit, if it operates, will be 750 feet deep. It'll be nearly a quarter mile long. So you can just imagine a pit that size on the banks of the river, any impact that that would, that that would create. 
to, to the river just just from the sheer fact of a pit being there, not to mention what kind of resources they're going to take out of the ground and extract minerals from those resources. <clears throat> so so that that's the primary concern for the from the pollution standpoint. The mine uh, is located roughly as the crow flies from Green Bay, about 23 miles. So if you measure from the bank of Green Bay where the mouth of Menominee River is, in a straight line to the mine site, it's only 23 miles. And that, that's not a long distance at all. The Menominee River itself meanders, so if you measure river miles, it's a little further. But when you talk about things like like watershed impacts and especially air deposition that carries um, distances like that really quickly, it, it, it's a real threat to the environment. It's a large watershed surrounding the mine and the Menominee River. The watershed itself doesn't reach down to our reservation, but it certainly impacts us in many other ways like migratory birds, migratory fish, um, other animal life that move long distances. The reason I say that is, again, as the crow flies from the back 40 mine site to the reservation on the northeast corner, that distance is only 40 miles. So if you measure it in a straight line, 40 miles to the corner of our reservation. And again, things like migratory animals, birds, fish, um, they, you know, do they travel those distances easily? You know, does wind swept pollution travel that kind of distance? For sure it does. So th those are some of the things that that come to mind when you first immediately look at this, this project and, and the size of it. Can, oh. can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that I um, hear about when... Um, I hear about the opposition of this mine is um, the importance of that site to the Menominee culture. Is that something that you can talk about? Sure can. So there are, <clears throat> there are really three, maybe four large concerns that we, we always like to outline when we talk about our opposition to this. Our first one, right on top of the list, is our culture. So if you look at where it is located, the Menominee River, no secret why the Menominee River is named the Menominee River. The, the Menominee tribe um, had been located there from, from our very beginning. So the Menominee were known to be there um, when other tribes tell their stories. Um, that, that's historic. That's a long, long time ago. When the Europeans first arrived on the scene, um, there's plenty of written documentation. There were Menominee there. So our own creation story <clears throat> started at the mouth of the Menominee River. So current day, it's Marinette, essentially. It's Marinette, Menominee. Those are the twin cities on each side of the river. Right at the mouth of that river is where our legends and our story, our creation story, where the great bear came from, from the bay and walked upon the shore thereby creating the Menominee, um, that's, where it hap that's where that occurred. So that, that mouth of that river 
um, is a very sacred place to us. It's where our creation started, and it's where our clans were established, our five main clans, and that's all in our story. Culturally, the evidence that we were on the river is there physically, so archaeologists in developing historical records and matching people to places do that through investigation um, as well as written record. But the physical cultural sites, there are mounds, garden beds, pits, um, old settlements. Those are all there along the banks of the Menominee River. And especially, they're there within the mine site. So all of those things exist within that mine footprint. So, yeah. Thank you, Chairman, for the background information and explaining the cultural significance the area has to the Menominee people. We'll be right back with more information about the Back 40 Mine after we hear from a few of our tribal departments. Hey, Poso Mauni, we are Pakachika and Netanyahu, Joey Wanape, Mokaman, Nwiswan. Hello, everybody. It's a beautiful afternoon to be addressing, addressing all of you. I want to talk a little bit about the Menominee Language and Culture Commission. It was formed in 1996 by our Menominee tribal legislative body. It consists of nine members, five of which are elder. Uh, we call them Kachkakenamuk, very knowledgeable wise, elderly people um, of our tribe, and the other remaining few are teachers, professors, and tribal members. The Language and Culture Commission oversees, of course, language development, cultural, historical, uh, and even some spiritual topics that come to the Language and Culture Commission. Uh, we do also host a Wednesday afternoon session. It's called Kitchkiwok, where some of our Language and Culture Commission members facilitate this gathering from 1 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And all of you are more than welcome to come on by. The Kitchkiwok strongly encourage younger adults and our teens to stop in and participate. Other things that we focus on over at the Language and Culture Commission is our weekly development. Every Wednesday afternoon, all of our bilingual teachers from the Menominee Indian School District schools and the Menominee Tribal School all come over. We work on developing their skills, strengthening their abilities. We monitor their lesson plans and make sure, make sure they are in compliance with Chapter 395, which is the Menominee Language and Culture Commission Code. Uh, we do have an amazing program that has started as of 2017. It is, it is our Menominee Language Immersion Training Program. And I'm going to hand over the program to my little brother, Mo Shakwit, so he can tell all you wonderful people a little bit about our immersion programming. I just want to thank everyone for putting their ear on this and giving it a listen. Um, like like Pukachika was saying, um, we commenced a Menominee language immersion effort in November of 2015. Um, at that time, uh, I was hired as the Menominee language immersion instructor. Um, we then hired a group of 10 individuals to 
um, their primary focus of their job was to learn the Menominee language to the best of their abilities. Um, since that that point in 2015, um, the program has grown. Recently, we have um, opened a Menominee language immersion room in the in the early childhood facility. So we have uh, daycare immersion, I guess is the way we can put it. And we started with eight children aging from birth to 10 months old. Um, that was in September of 2017. We have since added a room and another eight students. So our room now consists of children from birth to two, maybe two and a half, all receiving Menominee language immersion for the duration of their stay at the daycare daily. Um, We've also recently received uh, Esther Martinez ANA Immersion Grant, which is helping us to build capacity to create more opportunities for the community to have their children be a part of this programming. We currently employ six trainees. Again, their primary focus is to learn the language, um, learn some culture and history. Uh, some of them come to us knowing some of this stuff, and we help them to try to learn more. Um, for some of them, it's a brand new experience all the way around, and so everyone is doing their best. We have six people in training. We have five people currently in the classroom. One of the greatest things that has come out of this so far is that one of our trainees has gone on, and on Saturday, May 11th, he'll be receiving his undergrad in linguistics, and his primary inspiration for that is to come back and utilize those skills with the children in our facility. There'll be a lot more to come in, in the way of that, and I thank you all for listening. Now we have some news updates from Menominee Nation News. Menominee Tribal Police Department revived 1986 cold case murder of Ray Elaine Turtelot. More than 30 years after the murder of 18-year-old Ray Elaine Turtelot, the suspects are still at large. The case remains open and her family and friends have endured decades without closure. A $20,000 reward is being offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the persons responsible. On Tuesday, April 23rd, representatives from Ayers Associates, an architectural and engineering service, gave a presentation on their plans to replace the County Highway M bridge in Neopit. On Monday, April 22nd, Wisconsin Secretary of the Department of Revenue, Peter Barca, met with Menominee Tribal Chairman Doug Cox to learn about issues impacting the Menominee Tribe. On Saturday, April 20th, the Menominee Historic Preservation Department hosted the 26th Annual Sturgeon Feast Powwow Celebration at the Menominee Indian High School in Kashina. Next month, Menominee Tribal member Arnold Chevalier will become chairman of the Wisconsin Humanities Council. On April 27th, the Enrollment Licensing and Permit Department presented Kashina Animal Help and Rescue with a check in the amount of $1,256 to help with ongoing expenses. After months of planning, the Menominee Indian High School Greenhouse, a project focusing on such things as environmental education as well as localized efforts at food sovereignty and sustainable development, finally came to fruition earlier this spring. On April 26th, the Sustainable Development Institute and other organizations on the College of Menominee Kashina campus held the annual Earth Day extravaganza. 
As there are already several illegal drug problems on the Menominee Reservation, many of those who deal with the treatment and legal enforcement of drugs are worried that easier access to and lesser charges for marijuana are only going to make the illegal drug issues in the community worse. And this is what was discussed at the latest Community Drug Forum, which took place on April 24th at the Menominee Casino Resort Convention Center. On Thursday, April 25th, the Menominee Tribal Legislature and the Menominee Indian Gaming Authority met to further discuss the impact of the slot machine malfunction and the deficits reported in the 2018 annual report. All this and more in the May 6, 2019 issue of Menominee Nation News. Signing out, this is Devin Erdman. This is Josh Cedarstrom. With us today, we have Monique Tyndall, who is our new tribal archivist, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, it's good to be here. So I recently started with the Menominee Tribe as a tribal archivist in December. So what we have here with the tribal archives and that we're establishing here in the tribe is uh, right now we're focusing on the chairman records that are stored here at the tribal offices. And at the moment, it's we're in the preliminary stages of setting up an entire archival program. So that goes from everything from policies and procedures, uh, finding the software to establish the, the catalog, and also digitizing the original documents themselves. But, you know, it's, um, it's undertaken that requires a lot of innovation and forward thinking one thing about working with the archives, working with these historical documents is you can always find these great gems and these treasures. Did you find anything interesting? Let's see. Well, one thing that I found that was really interesting and I didn't expect it to be there was a ration record from the boarding school and it was from the late 1800s. I remember years ago, someone mentioning to me that there was some boarding school records down there in the basement. And that was something that was in my mind when I was going through those. And there was uh, a stack of folders that had kind of like fallen forward onto uh, a metal divider within the cabinet. And uh, so I, I pulled those back. And underneath, in this little tiny space underneath those files, was a document that was encapsulated in Marilar. It's like a polyester-based film that we use in archives to preserve delicate materials. It wasn't just laying flat. It was kind of curled up onto itself. And so when I pulled that out, that was this ration record from the boarding school. It's a really interesting document because it shows like all of the foods that were in there that were provided and some of the foods that were substituted. For example, like instead of X amount of pounds of beans, it, that was crossed out and it was written in to have hominy corn. So that even shows like, you know, culturally how important that type of food was and still remains today. It's like every week we have food sales and corn soup is always on the menu. So that speaks a lot to the food culture here. And going through the archives, I discovered that there was an early initiative to establish a centralized archive here in the Menominee Tribe. And it takes place during a important historical time for the tribe, during the time of restoration. 
on December 22nd, 1973, the restoration period actually began after the signing and then he had the establishment of the Menominee Restoration Committee. And it was the work of the committee that established and set up a proposal to create a centralized archives for the tribe. And a lot of that um, came out of the need for um, documenting and retaining all of the tribe's records, the documents that were created that led towards restoration, and even like the tribal documents before that time, you know, talking about termination and even pre-termination. So this is one of the goals that the Restoration Committee wanted to achieve was um, retaining and preserving the record of the tribe. So right now what we have here in the building is actually proposals for uh, retaining grant funds to help get those positions in place, cost of materials, and also like initial uh, writings of draft policies and procedures for the archives. And uh, a lot of those materials from that time period are very aspirational. Mm -hmm. I believe that they help to remind us of where the community came from and where they wanted to see us going into the future. So it's very grounding for me and it gives me the determination and the energy needed to take on such a large task. And uh, I believe that the importance of the tribal records and archives is expressed also in the tribal constitution. There's a section in there that speaks directly about tribal records. So I would assume that the writing of the constitution and the development of that centralized archives um, went hand in hand. And, you know, it's not something that is really a new thing. It seems new to us. But if you think about it, here in the Great Lakes, we've always had archival material. We've always had inscribed birch bark scrolls, which could be considered related to, like, the archival history. And, and um, one thing, too, is... Like with tribal archives, we're looking at having more community involvement. That's what's happening on a national level is a lot of these repositories are asking community members to come in and sit down with us to provide us their personal experience during a specific historical time period that the documents we're working with come from. What are some of the ways that you can see the Menominee community becoming involved in your work? One way that I'm really interested in investigating and testing out in the future is a uh, community scanning day. This is uh, one type of programming a lot of archives implement, and it tends to be successful. And uh, another way is, uh, you know, we have a lot of youth programs, youth employment programs for the summer. And there's also a college internship program, so tapping into that. One other type of programming we're looking at right now is creating curated digital exhibits. So at this point, we're researching the history of the tribal office building and when it was the hospital and uh, the archives and the historic preservation are partnering up 
and we're looking to see what we have in both of our collections and then uh, put together like a community presentation out of those materials. Back to the mine, what are some other reasons for the tribe to oppose the Back 40 mine? So so some of the other um, reasons that we would we would want to oppose the mine besides our culture and, and those those archaeological evidence, that archaeological site, again, are a threat to mining exploration and, and the potential mining boom, if you will, in the region. So not only in Upper Michigan, but in Wisconsin, Aquila owns two other deposits in Wisconsin just west of us, not very far. The Back 40 site in Michigan that Aquila is seeking permits for is proposed to be not just a a mining site, but a processing site. So they will process ore on that site. What that means is other mines that operate in the region can send their ore to that site to get processed, to extract those minerals that they're after, that zinc, that silver, that gold. Uh, And Aquila, obviously, would want that to happen because they would then be able to recover costs for processing other mining companies' ore. So that, that's two reasons to, to, to worry is, is a large processing site equals more pollution, but also sites that aren't developed yet in Wisconsin that, that mining companies or the Aquilas of the world own mineral rights to are sitting under the ground waiting for somebody to develop up there or anywhere so they can start mining those other sites. So not only in Upper Michigan, but we'll also have the potential have mines closer to home, even even closer. So this will have sort of a domino effect. Yeah. Uh, I like to call it the mining district. So, you know, upper Michigan, northeast Wisconsin, Wisconsin in general could develop into that mining district type of, of state, of region. Part of that was paved because in the past we've had pretty solid legislation in Wisconsin that that's deterred big industry when it relates to mining to coming into Wisconsin. So the, the prove it first law was what we all knew it as. It was, it was formerly the mining moratorium. So the prove it first law required mining companies that sought permits in Wisconsin um, for, for sulfide mining to prove that, that they could close a mine and have that mine closed for 10 years without, without, polluting the environment, acid mine drainage, in, in this case, is the worst one. So in order to do that, the mine, re- the law required them to go find a mine somewhere that met those standards, closed for 10 years and didn't pollute. And those that are experts in the field of, of mining and experienced in mining know there isn't any. So nearly an impossible task for a company to to meet that law. In 2017, Wisconsin State Senator Tom Tiffany had that law reversed. So his legislation, his bill he introduced, um, unfortunately for us in Wisconsin, was successful and it overturned the Prove It First law. So companies now can come in, not have to worry about that obligation, apply for permits to mine in, in Wisconsin. So, again, the, the other concerns obviously are what we talked about earlier, water, fish, 
wildlife. Um, acid mine drainage is a real thing. Uh, if it gets in our waterways, it, it essentially, as the term indicates, it's acidic. And it, it starts to affect the, the life that's using that waterway or living in that waterway. Oh. What is the tribe doing to prevent the mine? Uh, the tribe has done a number of things at home. We've developed our own task force. So the Menominee Indian Tribe has an environmental task force. It's made up of three tribal legislators. Um, they take on some of the planning for participation in hearings, document review, collecting comments, organizing how we deal with these the, this proposal um, here in transferring that to Michigan. So we also have had numerous discussions with EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. That's the federal arm. So we've done that. Uh, and again, we're just closely monitoring some of the permit processes that are going on, like the one that's coming up. So on June 25th in Stevenson, Michigan, uh, there will be a hearing on an amended mine permit and uh, an air permit and what's called a, a, a small dams permit or the tailings dam permit. That's on June 25th. That'll be in Stevenson. And um, we'll be able to go there and make testimony to, to Michigan officials about this project. The other uh, one that we've done is a resolution. So the tribe has passed resolution number 15-93. That resolution opposes mining activity that threatens Menominee cultural resources at the tribe's place of origin. That's actually the, the title of that resolution. And it's in place. We've traveled around and talked to groups about that resolution. We were successful in getting a number of local governments to, to join on, not join on, uh, develop their own resolutions. So there are about eight counties up and around and near the mine area, both in Wisconsin and Michigan, to pass their own resolutions opposing this project. And big counties like, like Menominee County in Michigan, like Door County in Wisconsin, to get them to pass resolutions in opposition to this project is, is huge. Um, has it had an impact on Michigan to this point? No, unfortunately. But um, having those resolutions here, having them resolutions there in place, um, it, they serve more benefits than us just trying to prove Michigan that there's a lot of opposition out there. Um, one thing that we've done and continue to try to do is tell Aquila Resources who's who is owned by share, so there's numerous shareholders out there that this project here in, in Upper Michigan isn't all what what, you, what your company is purporting it to be. There's a lot of opposition. Um, demonstrate to them that, you know, that this project may not be as successful as Aquila is trying to sell you that it is, and that's what we use those, those other pieces for. Oh. It's interesting to hear the amount of work our tribe is doing to prevent the mine. We'll be right back after we hear from more of our tribal departments. Hi, my name is Mary Canope. I'm from the Menominee Food Distribution Program. The Menominee Food Distribution Program started in October of 1980. 
in the basement of the old tribal courts building with the distribution of USDA food products in November of 1980. Pat Roberts started the food distribution program 39 years ago and is still the director. At that time, we distributed to about 89 households with 332 recipients. Today, we distribute to about 4,200 households with about 7,000 participants. At that time, food distribution had about 30 different food items, and today we have about 106 USDA food items that our clients can choose from each month. We have standard criteria for clients to be eligible, and these criterias can be picked up at the front office of the Food Distribution Center. We provide a variety of nutritious food items, such as fresh and canned fruits and fresh and canned vegetables. We have frozen and canned meats, peanut butter, vegetable oil, our famous USDA commodity cheese, several variety of noodles, flour, cereals, canned soups, crackers, and dried mixed fruit. We hope to get shelled eggs into our food package by the middle of summer. Food distribution has a nutrition educator, Mary Canope, who teaches monthly healthy cooking classes using USDA food items in many tasty, healthy recipes. These classes are open to all food distribution clients, eligible community members, and these healthy cooking classes are held on the third Tuesday of every month at the food distribution kitchen. For any questions or inquiries about the Menominee Food Distribution Program, please feel free to contact us at 799-5132. You're listening to the MITW Podcast. Stay up to date with the Menominee Tribe and our tribal departments by subscribing to the MITW Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. You can also listen to the MITW Podcast on menominee-nsn.gov. So, this is Gary Bisa. My, my real name is Oskupawis. This past year, in fact, April 17th, 2018, was the first day of the new Menominee Tribal Department of Agriculture and Food Systems, otherwise known as DAFIS. We had an ag department before, years ago, but the tribe is again looking at um, entering that good fight to reestablish a true food system here to move away from that reliance on canned processed food and meat and all the the sugary, salty um, foods that we get typically and the the soda and all of the things that are causing some of the health issues for us. So the tribe in its move towards wellness said as we fight opioids, as we fight poverty, as we move forward, nutrition is a very, very important aspect of that, and we need to include it. So Menominee went forward with a Department of Agriculture and Food Systems that would look at providing some of the technical assistance, whether it is in um, learning, relearning good agriculture practices, whether it would be in looking where to obtain certain resources that they might need, 
or in developing policy because the tribe has not developed policy in a while, and to be able to regulate. So we're stepping forward now to look at um, how we start putting that together to lay the, the basic groundwork for the tribe. And one of the, one of the first things we looked at doing was let's go out and do an assessment of what is available as far as resources, whether they be the policies and laws, whether it be the, the fields or the areas for growing, whether it would be people with expertise, or whether it's something as basic as do we have tillers, do we have um, wells or irrigation, what, what do we have and what do we not have on the reservation? And we were able to beg, borrow, and steal a VISTA fellows from the University of Arkansas to come work with us, and her name is Lighty Rogers, and, and she's here now also. So, Lighty, can you, can you explain that survey? Yeah, sure. So, um, mostly how we went forward with this survey is we wanted to just see uh, and create a comprehensive picture of the food system on the reservation. So, for us, that meant talking to heads of a lot of departments for the tribe, but it also meant reaching out to county departments as well as the schools, nonprofits, churches, a lot of different groups, and even a few individuals who we know have a lot of information on perhaps equipment or any other area we were focusing on in that survey. So just this past month, I finally wrapped up um, collecting the surveys, which I mostly did through interviews, but um, a few people filled them out on their own, and we got a total of 56, and I'm working on analyzing them right now. I'm hoping to create with Gary a, a document that we can distribute so a lot of people can understand what I've come un to understand over the last few months, which is a really cool interconnected picture of what's already going on and will help us move forward with figuring out what projects to go with in the future. So, so Lady, you want to talk about what we found so far while we're still mining through all of the data. So there were different levels of information and knowledge from individuals, and it's pretty interesting what, what we found. Yeah, so I think... Part of what we found, I've been mostly focusing on looking at the equipment section so far, and what we found is there actually is a lot of equipment already on the reservation. But the problem is so much of that has limitations on who can use it and how it can be used. So I think going forward, we'll try to figure out how to make that equipment more accessible to more people within the community or how to get equipment that will be accessible to people in the community. Another thing that I really enjoyed learning about through the interviews was hearing ideas and stories that came up that didn't exactly answer the questions I was asking, but are really important to take into account moving forward um, with food work on the reservation, whether it be really important cultural understandings of plant communities or if it's people talking about how important it is to get youth involved in getting in touch with their own food. I'm hoping to highlight some of that in the report as well. The stuff that's going to be harder to analyze but I think it's really important to get out there because I think that's where I'm really finding so much hope and so much motivation from those parts of it. So as we start and this is a 
This is a brand new department and we have to go back to our roots to get to the level that um, we want to be at. Long time ago, we were the original organic farmers. And even in our name, Gaius Mamachitawak, that's, that's our original name for ourselves, not Menominee, but Gaius Mamachitawak, that's the ancient ones or ancient movers. And that talked about us going to ricing camp, to hunting camp, to fishing camp, to berry picking camp, to gardening camps. So we moved with the seasons and we, we lived sustainably in an organic way within our lands. So if you want to contact our department at all to get any assistance with your garden or a relative's garden, anything like that, please feel free to reach out. Of course, Gary is the director of the department, but we also have uh, Joyce Weka, who is the administrative assistant for our department, um, Lighty, the AmeriCorps VISTA, and then we also have two other workers there, Francisco Alegria and Sasha Weka. You can call us at our main number, which is 715-994-1374. We are located in the lower level of the culture building on the CMN campus. So we look forward to a call from you. Come forward as any way we can help you or connect you to others who can help you. That's what the program is about, and it's free. Hello, everybody. I'm Anne-Marie Johnson from the Lending and Tribal Tax Department. I'm the director of the department. Today we want to talk about the newly created home ownership program within the department. Our mission is to generate concepts for high-quality, stable, and sustainable housing for middle-income families and elderly population through our careful research and planning. Our vision is to provide safe, vibrant, prosperous, attractive, and just neighborhoods and communities. According to the National Native Home Ownership Coalition in 2018, housing options are a key element to dynamic community development and economic growth. Yet, despite a strong desire on many American Indian reservations to own a home, home ownership is not always readily available. Tribal policies and codes are needed to support home ownership on tribal trust lands. There's also a need to make the financial resources for mortgage lending more accessible to tribal members to improve home ownership opportunities and expand reservation housing markets. In 2017, in April, the Menominee Tribal Legislature tasked Tribal Administration to create a home ownership program due to the extreme housing need for middle-income families. Tribal Administration utilized its Menominee Leadership Academy to generate the ideas of how a home ownership program could be developed for middle-income families. The program continues to develop every day. The tribe's home ownership program is a culturally sensitive tribal member-operated home ownership program that was created to dramatically raise the overall level of knowledge of community members concerning home ownership and to motivate members to take steps necessary to qualify for mortgage loans. The tribe is unable to provide direct grants or loans to tribal members to help overcome traditional obstacles to home ownership. However, is establishing a tribal home ownership program as a one-stop informational counseling and technical service resource. The home ownership program will help tribal members learn about home ownership and steps they must take in order to become eligible for a mortgage loan help tribal members rehabilitate their credit so they can borrow money for a home loan, 
Credit rehabilitation normally requires debt consolidation, payroll deduction, and establishment of credit relationships. The process may take several years before a tribal member meets commercial mortgage lending underwriting standards. Encourage local lenders to learn more about the tribe and the potential home mortgage market on the reservation. Facilitate tribal government approvals and BIA approvals of environmental reviews, land leases, permits, etc. Help tribal members take advantage of state, federal, tribal, and private home ownership programs that may provide additional funds. Examples include the HUD Section 184 program, rural development through USDA, Section 502 subsidized loan program, the FHLB Down Payment Assistance Program, and State Down Payment Assistance Programs. Help tribal members fill out loan applications and meet lender requirements. Loan applications can be very complex and daunting, even so um, for non-sophisticated borrowers. Assist with home design, special needs, etc. Help tribal members become responsible homeowners by providing home maintenance training. A home is typically its owner's most valuable asset. By maintaining its value, tribal members create personal wealth that can be passed on to the next generation, as is common outside of Indian country. By offering home maintenance programs, tribes help members build equity. Assist with pre-approval process for a lender or a loan originator. So what our program does is review income to debt ratio, develop a family budget, and also review how much of a um, mortgage payment that would be. We stay with you throughout the mortgage process to assist you. If you do not want to have the financial accounting, we do refer to other resources, and we always try and develop a housing um, development plan. If you're interested in home ownership assistance, please contact our office at 715-799-5139. So back to the mine. What is happening legally with the Back 40 mine? Then there's the legal case. Cases. So again... A, a contested case in Michigan and a federal case, I'm sorry, two contested cases in Michigan, the mine permit and wetlands permit, and then a federal court case that's in federal district court on uh, wetlands legislation. So federally, we argue that Michigan doesn't have the right to issue a permit for the Menominee, for waters that are connected to the Menominee River. And... Um, to date, we're still in those cases. We've had to appeal um, because we didn't get a favorable decision in the, in the federal case. And right now, the Michigan contested case hearing on the mine permit is before a panel that reviews a decision after the administrative law judge makes a decision. That decision wasn't necessarily favorable to the tribe was, there were some parts of it that were okay, but that decision is now before a panel of experts in Michigan that'll have an opportunity to change that decision. So is the federal case, is this <clears throat> kind of an issue of sovereignty for the tribe? I would say you could, you could say it was an issue of sovereignty because of the lack of trust responsibility. So <clears throat> Michigan's unique. They're one of two states that have been delegated authority from Environmental Protection Agency. Environmental Protection Agency has authority 
over several environmental statutes. One of them is the Clean Water Act. Section 404 of the Clean Water Act deals with wetlands permitting. So EPA has the ability, if states are interested, to tell to give those states that authority, to give it away to the states. There's only two, Michigan and New Jersey, to have it. In this case, Michigan gets to decide on the permit. All the other states, with the exception of New Jersey, that decision falls with the United States Army Corps of Engineers, a federal agency. Under the federal federal laws, they'd be required federally to meet all those other statutes and consult with the tribe because of the other acts like National Historic Preservation Act, Graves Protection Act, and Section 106, which is part of the part of those acts, which requires those federal agencies to sit down with tribes, just like we're sitting in this room, at a table and talk about our cultural resources. And that that's what's lacking in this one because the EPA gave that away to the state. And the state can decide, well, we didn't, ha- we didn't sit down with Menominee, mm-hmm. but there's nowhere in our statutes that require us to because we're a state. We wrote them letters and talked to them on the phone. They might have participated in meetings, but there's no requirement for Michigan federally, no trust responsibility to sit down and talk with us. Those are the failures, in our opinion. Now we'll be hearing from a few of our tribal departments. We'll be right back. Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning, uh, whatever it may be at your time. This is Ben Warrington with the Menominee Tribal Emergency Management Department. Talk a little bit today about uh, emergency notifications that are available to people in the Menominee County, Menominee Reservation area. So first thing we're going to kind of start with is the uh, the Nixle Emergency Communications uh, program that's available to residents. Um, in order to get some emergency notifications, anybody with a cell phone can text your zip code to. 888-777. So if you live in the Kashina area, you would text 54135 to the 888-777 number. In addition to the uh, texting your information to Nixle, you can go online to the Nixle website. What's nixle.com, N-I-X-L-E.com. You can go to that website on any web browser, and that should uh, steer you right to where you need to go. And you can further define different um, emergency notifications that that you would be interested in receiving. You can also insert uh, other phone numbers like your home phone, um, additional cell phone numbers, as well as... um, Additional zip codes, so say you may go to vacation somewhere up north in in Wisconsin. You could actually go online, put that zip code where you're going to be vacationing at, and you would receive notifications while you're on vacation outside of uh, the Menominee Reservation area. So in addition to the information, um, emergency communications and emergency notifications. Nixle will also give additional information in regards to not just weather, but it could be the local police departments may want to 
give information, maybe a lost child, um, maybe anything else. Um, recently we had a road closure on 55 and Nixle was used for notifying anybody in the area that was signed up for the Nixle emergency communications. The, uh, the Highway 55 closure was put out on the Nixle website. Uh, people did receive that through their cell phones. Um, there's other incidents where there was information given out through Nixle, so um, it's it's best uh, to get those. You go online, sign up. Um, in addition to the 888-777, when you go online and sign up, you're able to click boxes or, or check out what actual events you want to be notified for. In addition to the uh, texting to the 888-777, Menominee Tribal Emergency Management, along with Menominee Tribal IT Department, we're going to be working on an actual tutorial video so you would be able to follow right along on on how to set up the Nixle Communications online. So watch for that. That should be coming out here sometime this summer. Today we have with us Michael Wapus from the Youth Services Department, and he's going to tell us what they've been up to. Thanks for having me. Uh, Before I begin, I just want to give a a brief history about the Youth Services Department. It's a fairly new department that was created in the last two years. Prior to that, there were three departments, the Johnson O'Malley Department, the Rec Center Department, and the Youth Development and Outreach Department. So when those three got consolidated, it's basically into one department, and we're now called Youth Services, so... We now have a Johnson O'Malley program, which is pretty nice. It's basically the department, but now it's a program run all by underneath the youth services department and the recreation department has now become the um, just the ac- the activities that go on at the rec center. So that's where our offices are at. So that happened two years ago. Some of our programming that we do, we offer a variety of it, but the main focus is uh, our youth, uh, 17 and under, and our secondary focus is community. So a lot of our events are open to the public. They're alcohol and drug-free events all the time and tobacco-free. What are some of the programs that you have available for youth? Some of our in-school programmings uh, are that, that occur are prevention circles. Those are currently at uh, middle school age and high school age. Um, but for those specific youth that are selected from the staff um, at, the, at each school, so over at tribal school at... MIMS and at the high school right now, but next school year we're going to expand. And kids are selected through that because the teachers may see them struggling in one facet or another, maybe academics, maybe attendance, maybe socially, and it's just to help them get a mentorship. But we're with them throughout the entire school year, so we're just wrapping up right now, and we're starting to do some of our incentive trips with them. Other programs that occur are the Native Connections program, and that one's specifically for 6th to 8th graders. That one's a Suicide Prevention and Awareness uh, and we specifically follow the Native American Skills Curriculum weekly with, with those students at the tribal school. Another program that we offer is the Youth Alliance group, and that's a high school age group. Uh, basically, they're volunteers, but they also get um, post-secondary education and school readiness. Our youth advocate is responsible for that right now. Her name is Tyler Roloff. So uh, with the school year ending, she's looking for recruitment for next school year, so... She does a pretty good job with them. They volunteer at various community events, sometimes just cleaning and setting up at the event, sometimes running activities. Um, She has, right now, I think 13 kids. You can contact her for the Youth Alliance program. 
Other activities that we have are basic prevention activities. And these are basically fun activities to tell kids about why alcohol and drugs are bad for you. We talk about mental health awareness, like how to deal with frustration or anger instead of acting out. We can uh, teach them different coping mechanisms instead of just acting out in anger, you know, thinking about it, recognizing it, maybe talk about it, um, just so that way it doesn't become a destructive decision for them. Another part of it, um, the prevention activities is the staff collaborates with each school. So we're actually in the primary school, the Menominee Indian Middle, Middle School, the uh, Menominee Indian High School, and the Menominee Travel School. We help them out with the, ver- with the various activities that they have at each school. Sometimes it's for a monitor at recess. Sometimes it's doing after-school activities. Uh, sometimes it's just uh, chaperoning at their events. But that's pretty good for us because that's where my staff starts to establish a relationship with these kids because it may come in handy a few years down the road where if these kids uh, need somebody they can turn to, they'll recognize their faces as somebody they can receive help from. So uh, another program that we have, We'll talk about a little bit more in detail is the Johnson O'Malley program. One of the things that we offer is uh, reimbursements for any kind of academic camps or athletic camps for kids who are in school. Because the funding is through the BIA, the student has to be uh, at least a quarter blood degree uh, Indian. So they don't necessarily have to be enrolled in a tribe so they can be uh, a, descendant, a descendant at two different tribes. Another requirement for that is they have to be in our service area. So... All Shano City Schools are eligible, uh, Bondowell Elementary and Middle School, Gresham School District, Menominee Indian School District, uh, KPS, Menominee Travel School, and currently serving. So that's just for this year. This coming school year will be different when we get our student count. So our first one is the core program, uh, and that stands for Career Opportunities, Readiness, and Explorations. That uh, program will be a six-week job program, and uh, any of the kids who are who have the same requirements that I talked about before for the JOM, uh, this will begin July 8th and end August 16th. Basically what it is, it's a six-week program where 20 kids will receive mock interviews. They'll get training on resume writing, public speaking, job shadowing, and other career exploration. I think that's important because we think uh, if you don't go to college, what kind of jobs are available for you? But we want these kids to see there's other options available that maybe you don't need a college degree, maybe you need a, um, some kind of vocational degree or training. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's just an extra opportunity for them and we want to encourage these kids to be able to continue on after school. And finally, the last thing uh, I'll talk about is the rec center program. So basically what it is is that we have the offers after school programming, a place to hang out. We have computers, uh, TV to watch there. We have movie nights. Uh, we offer snacks and small meals after school. Right now, some of the after school programming that occurs there are uh, we have our book club, our weekly book club that uh, occurs 4.30 to 5.30. It, it's going pretty good right now. So we have about 20 participants. The kids will come in, eat a snack, and then they'll break up into the group. So there's like four or five different books being read, but they we have some pretty good uh, participation for that. And one last thing I want to touch on is our fitness center. So anybody who is 16 and older can participate or can use the fitness center. Anybody who is 15 and younger is not allowed in there, and that means with a parent. So if you're 15 and you're going with a parent, you can't be in there. And it's a liability issue that we have. So um, we have a 24-access card that's available for the for tribal employees or for the public, um, and they can stop over and receive those from the insurance department, fill out a form, and I think the card is still $8.
So that'll grant you access. Like um, some people work out at 2 a.m. because they get off of work and, and they may spend an hour in there. So some ways that people can contact us for any of our program, we actually have three different phone numbers right now. Uh, our number is 715-799-7099. To reach the activity room at the rec center is 715-799-5158. And specifically for the Johnson O'Malley program, the number is 715-799-5135. What are the next steps for the tribe? Uh, the project's huge. You know, the point is it, it it's not going away anytime soon, but neither are we. Um, the litigation is, is, the, is the tough part. It's costly. Um, the tribe has allocated a large chunk of funds of tribal dollars because there's no grant money out there for us to fight this on the level we're fighting it on. Um, those dollars have been expended in this fight. And we're searching other resources that can help us monetarily fight this fight because, um, you know, like I said, the, the tribe on legal, in legal cases, everybody knows legal's not cheap, court's not cheap, and, you know, to the tune of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars that we've expended at tribal resources and we're out um, and we need to find another way to stay in this battle. Uh, and, and those are the hard parts. So we're, we're, we're trying to actively pursue some of that now. I've visited other tribes in the country and made those asks to, to some of the bigger tribes. Been somewhat successful. Past chairs have done the same. Been somewhat successful. I just was in Michigan last week talking to Michigan tribes, asking the same. You know, you know this, this fight's in your state. And they're aware. They're aware and they're, they're wanting to help. So, you know, we're, we're waiting for those things to come through on, on our asks about whether, whether we can get some of that help or not. Uh, we're continuing to educate. Uh, we've got a website. So the Back 40 website's linked through the tribal website. Um, I know it wasn't active for a while, so um, whether we're keeping that up, I don't know. I hope so. Um, there was a link on there. Um, for a GoFundMe, and we asked people to go there and find that and, and contribute via the GoFundMe. It generated some funds that, that were helpful, but again, the, the legal battle's not cheap, so we're continuing to do networking. Um, we have a lot of relationships in Upper Michigan with, with some of our partners there. Uh, there's good groups up there that are helping technical and, and policy-wise and outreach, and um, for for them, a lot of this would be uh, even bigger battle. So there, there's good groups up there and good stakeholders that are helping us. That's kind of where we are, and it's it's a lot to cover in a few minutes. So, <laughs> so um, you mentioned the website and the GoFundMe. What is another way besides monetary donations that you would encourage people to um, ways to help uh, this cause. Yeah, and, and uh, I think while we can still, that there's opportunities to go to the state of Michigan and tell them this, tell them that this project isn't favorable. Um, are the public hearings that are, there's a couple still going. 
so June 25th in Stevenson. Um, that's a great opportunity. You know, get up there and, and go to the hearing and testify and, and tell the uh, Michigan um, Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy is the name of the department now. Tell them that you don't favor this project, think it's wrong, um, that that's a big way to help. You know, you can always send letters in to them as well, telling them the same. You know, just write to Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, telling them, you know, you think this project is is not a good project. Um, the stakeholder or the um, shareholder part is a good one. Finding those shareholders of Aquila Resources and sending them this information as well, telling them the impact it's going to have on the Menominee Tribe and the river and the environment, that it isn't, it isn't as good a project as, as they're being told it is. So it, those are all ways that, that people can help besides monetary. Wywanan for listening to the MITW podcast. The MITW podcast will be released monthly to keep you up to date with the Menominee Tribe and our tribal departments. You can find our podcast on menominee-nsn.gov, iTunes, YouTube, and on our Facebook page at MITW Podcast. If you would like to submit a question or a comment, email us at podcast at mitw.org.